I'm Alex Melleris. And I'm Tai Fu. We thought we were going to have nothing to talk about this week after all of the Canadians games were postponed until further notice thanks to a couple players placed on COVID protocol. And actually at the beginning of the week, I was so certain that we were going to have nothing to talk about that the thing at the top of my page of notes was uh, Jordan Harris committing to go back to college for one more year. I thought we were going to spend half an hour on that. But alas, I think we'll probably spend very little time talking about Jordan Harris because there were multiple key pieces of news as they relate to the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Eric Staltrade, of course. We'll also we'll talk about Cold Caulfield. We haven't talked about the Tim Peel situation yet either. We'll get to all of that. Do you want to start with the Eric Staltrade that went down a couple days ago? Okay. Well, you know what? First, I want to touch on the fact that, like, there were no Habs games this week. Uh, there were supposed to be, like, what, four? Uh, and they found themselves with a second bye week. This one much more unfortunate than the first one. Uh, someone has COVID on the Habs. Apparently, it was a variant. Uh, I didn't I didn't see who exactly it was. I don't think it really matters at this point. But, uh, you know, first Canadian uh, stoppage of play due to COVID, and uh, it freaking sucked. And now the Habs find themselves with an even more densely packed schedule uh, than you could like than even before, and you know we talked about how they had basically no real rest days from here until the end of the season. Well, that now I don't even know how they're going to manage it. But uh, like getting ground to dust from here out until the to the playoffs, I think is a real concern. Um, but you know they have the depth to manage it, so you know we'll we'll see how that goes. But yeah, let's let's move to the stall trade. Yeah, um, actually, wait, I, that was probably I yeah. want to touch on what you just said also before we move okay, on sure. to stall. Uh, cause that is important to talk about kind of slipped my mind with everything else, but like Bergevin confirmed, I think that at least one of the games they lost was going to be made up after what would have been the last game of the season on, I believe May 8th, I would imagine probably two of them, maybe even three, cause it'll probably be hard to squeeze in more than that, uh, from here until at the end of the season should have been in terms of like, you know, not having a lot of rest. I was more concerned about that before this week off. I think this week off could have the potential to actually be a help in that regard because we were already kind of noticing like, hmm, they're kind of starting to get a little bit tired here. And the schedule would have been super dense either way, like if the season hadn't come to a halt a couple, like uh, almost a week ago. And so I think this week off might actually really help them in that sense. And now like from this point on, it will be like about a month and a half of a compact schedule. Whereas without this week, it would have been like over two months. Yeah, we'll see though, because like this is not your typical bye week, right? This was a COVID week and, uh, you know, excellent segue right here. As uh, Eric Stahl mentioned in his press conference, like he talked about the effect COVID had on the Sabres, right? Because they had an even bigger outbreak there. And so, you know, you can talk about rest all you want, but if these are, if some of these dudes are sick, and they are not 100%, maybe who knows how long they're not going to be 100% until, you know, it still remains to be seen, will this be a, well, you know, will, will there actually be like a, a positive thing coming out of this rest, uh, this extra week of rest? Uh, I'm not too sure about that one. We'll just have to see. But uh, yeah, you know, like even what, it's been like a month since they've had a really dense schedule already. And, you know, yeah. not not too promising in terms of how they were like kind of fading down the stretch. While, uh, you know, looking forward, if we have to endure another month of this, uh, more than a month, about a month and a half, plus the playoffs, I I get worried. I get more and more worried that this team, you know, like, I don't know, maybe these new additions, maybe Eric Stahl will fix things, but I'm not too, uh, I'm not too confident, you know? Like, it's 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 worrying me in the back of my mind, uh, this whole rest thing going in all the way until, like, March probably 15th at this point. Yeah, May 15th, I think you mean. Oh, right, May uh, 15th. March 15th yeah. has passed. 
yeah, and and with like you, you talked about like uh, the depth and how that could potentially be a help. I I do think that it was probably not more than two players who tested positive. Kotkaniemi and Armia were the two on the COVID protocol list, and I think Bergman only confirmed one player tested positive for the variant. Uh, hopefully, it was just the one and not more than that. And I actually, after, and as that relates to the Sabres, uh, the, Eric Stahl kind of implied that there was like almost the entire team or like half the team or something, uh, which is, of course, significantly more disastrous. And we talked about the Ristolainen situation on here as well. Uh, but I, I sent you a screenshot yesterday of my own uh, Canadian's depth chart Google Doc that I like to keep tally of for all the teams. A uh, fun fact about me, after they traded for Eric Stahl and signed Cole Caulfield yesterday, and I said something like, they basically have six NHL lines now. Um, after adding Stahl, uh, they now, like Jake Evans is kind of the fifth string center. Of course, Arturi Lekkonen has kind of been like a fifth line player for a while now as well. They still have uh, Caulfield, Michael Froelich, Ryan Paling, Jordan Wheel. So they do have a lot of options and a lot of uh, uh, insulation in case of injuries, but they have to use it basically like you know swap out byron and lekkanen swap out evans and and cory perry and especially on back-to-backs cory perry's like 35 36 he doesn't have to play on back-to-backs uh load management and so you know especially because of how compact the schedule is going to be i really want to see dominic ducharme uh make use of that on the forwards and on defense uh maybe cycle out joel edmondson every once in a while wouldn't be too upset about that yeah, no, but I think the thing, the other thing to kind of juggle while you're like uh, moving all these pieces around is like who here is like waiver exempt, you know, like you want to move all these guys, but you can only have so many guys like on the active roster, right? And then we've seen a bunch of dudes already pass through waivers, um, you know, Paul Byron among them, but like I, like, I don't know how many of these dudes are waiver exempt, but I can't imagine it's all of them. And so, you know, you don't, you see like Vancouver snatching up all these, you know, these Leafs. Uh, off of the waiver wire and so another balancing act you know like I don't think like if you call it Michael Froelich and at that point that's not a great sign but if you do end up calling him up well you know he, like will you lose him if he plays well like Corey Perry at this point I, I think he has to go through waivers if he's sent down to the taxi squad uh, I imagine somebody would like love to get their hands on Corey Perry after a nice little stretch he's had and so yeah it'll be interesting to see how you know Bergevin Ducharme kind of juggle I think rest will be a huge thing because yeah they have faded down the stretch, and they've seen that now. And so how are you going to fix it moving forward? Because at this point, you know, I think I think you have to start planning for the playoffs too. Because, like, you look at the teams, you look at the standings now in the North Division, like, that gap has winded more and more as, you know, Calgary keeps shooting themselves in the foot game after game, basically. Um, like, it, it looks like the Habs are almost definitely going to make it into the playoffs, probably as the fourth seed, maybe the third or second, depending on how Edmonton and Winnipeg are. So, you know, like, now you have to get make it to the end of the regular season, not be ground to dust by then. And then, you know, an additional two weeks playing the same team over and over. And, you know, hopefully maybe even longer. So it's tough. It'll be a juggling act. And uh, you have to also keep into account this whole waivers thing. Yeah. Well, Jake Evans is waivers exempt. Uh, Paul Byron also is for the time being because he cleared waivers recently. And when that expires, I imagine they could put him on waivers again. He probably for the third time would go unclaimed. Uh, so that's an option that clears up a significant amount of cap room when you 
if you send him down there for, I don't know, a couple of days or whatever. Uh, of course, you know, Cole Caulfield as well. I am at, he'll probably stay with the Rocket for the rest of the season, I imagine. Mark Bergman confirmed he'll be starting there. Uh, and, you know, Romanov also. Like, these young guys are, are waivers exempt. So, honestly, I don't see that as being much of a concern. And also, I think they, they might even, they do have some wiggle room. They they carry like an extra defenseman. So I think like, obviously, when needed, you know, you you put Byron on the taxi squad and let Lekkanen play for a game. You can do the same with, with Jake Evans. You can send him up and down uh, because he's still on his uh, ELC. Um, but let, let's talk about Eric Stahl. Let's talk about this deal. We've waited off on it long enough. Uh, so was it, it was either LeBron or Dreger, I think that had the initial tweet, like Buffalo approaching uh, a deal, sending Eric Stahl away and the Habs appear to be the clear front runner. And within, I think an hour, maybe, uh, the details were finalized. Um, a third and fifth round pick both in this year's draft, uh, to Buffalo in exchange for 36 year old Eric Stahl. Uh, who is in the last year of his contract. Uh, it was $3.25 million a year, but Buffalo retained half of the salary, so it's only $1.625 against the cap for Montreal this year. Uh, I honestly, I kind of thought that, uh, you know, to squeeze him into the cap, I wasn't sure if Buffalo was going to retain. I was thinking mm, there might be a chance Paul Byron is going back uh, the other way. Uh, but very thoughtful of Mark Bergevin to not send any of his players to the garbage that is the Buffalo Sabres and instead give up a couple uh, draft picks. And of course, I talked about this uh, right after the 2020 draft because once again, they employed the strategy of trading half their picks for picks in the next draft. And so they had 14 2021 draft picks and everyone's looking at it going, wow, amazing. Look at all the draft picks he has. And uh, he uses a couple of them uh, in, a, in a smart way, I think. Uh, there were a couple other teams in pursuit of Eric Stahl. So a lot of people were thinking like, oh, yeah, they're going to get all the Sabres players for cheap. I don't think this is cheap necessarily. I think it's probably fair value. Yeah. Like, I look at this trade and I think, you know, it's it's a solid one. It's not a fleecing by any means. Um, but I don't think they overpaid. Look, a third and a fifth, you have way too many picks. Hell, like, I, I don't even think it's reasonable to expect that you're going to, you know, keep the rights to all these dudes because there's, there's a maximum on that. And so, you know, a third and a fifth. Uh, Third's a nice pick, but Eric Stahl is a nice depth piece. Depth, depth piece. And, uh, you know, you look at his season with Buffalo, he's been pretty dog shit. However, you know, everybody's season with Buffalo has been dog shit. So, you know, you kind of maybe give him a bit of a pass there. Uh, he was fine with Minnesota previously, and then he got traded in the offseason. We're like, what the hell is happening there? Uh, Buffalo fleeced him. And then, you know, so what was it? Was it Granlund that they traded away? Or is it Johansson? Or, or uh, Marcus Johansson. Yeah, Marcus Johansson. Uh, and so, you know, they traded Marcus Johansson for a third and a fifth in the end. Uh, so that's like, it's all right. But uh, for the Habs, you know, the concern with Stahl is that he's fucking slow because he's old, right? But look, fourth line center at this point, right? You got to imagine behind Suzuki, Kakaniemi, and Dano. Uh, and he's a, nice bet he's a nice depth piece. Maybe he needs some rest. You cycle him in with Jake Evans every so often. Uh, but, you know, he brings some offensive talent. Uh, he's 36, but I think he's got some of it left in the tank, I think, for one more run. He seems pretty enthusiastic about being in Montreal. You can talk all you want about, you know, quote-unquote veteran leadership. Sure, I'll give you that too. Uh, and so, you know, I think all around, it's a solid acquisition. Definitely not an overpayment, I wouldn't think. And, 
yeah, you got a fourth line center. A guy was a relatively big name for a fourth line center. And so, you know, sure. Yeah, like he was really like the whole cap thing. I think he was, he's got a cap strap. He just managed to get this one in uh, under the cap. And so a solid acquisition. Yeah, for sure. We were talking a couple weeks ago, speculating about what Montreal might do at the trade deadline. And I pointed out that they have a bunch of wingers, but none of them can play center. And that's usually nice to have wingers who can play at center in case someone gets injured. And I was looking around at like Penny UFA's potential forward line centers. And I was like, oh, what about Brandon Sutter if Vancouver retains half and we give them literally nothing in return? Uh, Eric Stahl is clearly much better than Brandon Sutter. And we have to remember, he was very bad in Buffalo, but he's now going from, after Eichel was injured, the first-line center in Buffalo, to now the uh, quasi-third or maybe even fourth-line center in Montreal. I imagine like, Suzuki's probably the top-line center, and then Kotkaniemi, Dano, and Stahl probably more or less play about the same. If I'm guessing, Stahl, if you had to rank them, probably is the number four. And that's a very nice number four to have because, honestly, I think like he was like last year he was like with the second center in minnesota maybe even the top center in minnesota and because they're better so much better than buffalo uh he was not bad minnesota wasn't great but eric Stahl was like he was okay especially after everyone thought he had kind of you know like uh fallen off and he was totally washed like after getting traded to the rangers in like 2016 2017 whatever it was then he kind of had a nice resurgence in minnesota uh, I I think that Eric Stahl is like a perfect fit uh, with Montreal with the way their their lineup is right now with the way their roster looks and obviously super fun. Uh, looks like Mark Bergman's kind of hopping off on the train of bringing in former superstars near the end of their careers. Uh, kind of like Kyle Dubas has been doing, you know, Spezza, uh, Joe Thornton, that type of player. And now Mont- Montreal now has several members of the gold medal winning Canadian Olympic team uh, from Vancouver in 2010, Shea Weber, Corey Perry, and now Eric Stahl added to the mix as well. Oh, yeah. And you can't forget Ilya Kovalchuk last year. Nice little contract, yep. free, what was it, third-round pick. So, uh, yeah, I think it works out. You know, like you get these you get these old guys for cheap, uh, and you put them in as depth pieces, and obviously they're not what they once were. Freaking, you're talking about a gold medal like 11 years ago, whatever the hell. And uh, but uh, hey, like uh, they, and they bring excitement too. You know, let me tell you what. Uh, as a fan, I'm more excited to watch Eric Stahl than I am to watch Jake Evans. I'm sorry, it's just like the name. You know, you see another back of jersey. It's just, it's just more exciting. And so that's in from that perspective, it's a win. And yeah, just more center depth. Yeah, you touched on it a couple weeks ago with the with that. It's just uh, the Habs were kind of missing there. That was like a missing piece on the forward core. And you kind of plug it definitely for cheap. It was, I think it's a pretty cheap deal. You know, third and fifth, very reasonable. And so, yeah, like I, I give it a solid grade for Mark Bergevin, uh, in terms of deadline acquisitions. Yeah. And of course, uh, at the press conference, uh, because before the stall trade, someone asked him if he was going to do anything on the deadline. He was like, oh, probably not. We're pretty tight against the cap. And then this move comes out, like, what was it, a couple days later? And Steve Dangle said something like, if Mark Bergman says he's not going to make a trade, you might as well set a timer. Uh, <laughs> and he did the he did the exact same thing after the stall trade, where he was like, oh, yeah, no way we're doing anything else. But when when you watch the clip, instead of just read it, you can he kind of, like, smirks, and you can tell he's kind of, you know, just having a little fun uh, with with the media, with the fans, whatever it is. Um, and Eric Stahl also, it was confirmed yesterday, will be wearing number 21 
very nice. He's been wearing 12 uh, his whole career, or almost his whole career. But, of course, that's a, a retired number with Montreal. Uh, I, I know it's not my week to do a quiz, but how many of the, including Eric Stahl, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 players since Brian Gionta left the team who wore number 21, can you name? Wait, uh, are we are we not including Brian Gionta? Yeah, don't include Brian Gionta. But I did include Eric Yikes, Stahl. Man. So I thought I was uh <laughs> that was the one guy I knew. Uh Brian Gionta. <laughs> Twenty one. Uh wow. It's a bunch of scrubs. Okay, all right, I give up. You wanna you wanna give me the answers here? Yeah, all right. So after Brian Gionta left, the next number twenty one was Devontae Smith Pelly, followed by Stefan Mateau, Dwight King, David Schlemko, Nate Thompson, and Nick Cousins. Wow. All right. Well, no surprise I didn't get any Truly of them an there. Star team. Yeah, and, and another piece of uh, NHL news that directly affects this whole Eric Stahl situation there um, is that they got approval from the Canadian government, uh, an exemption just for the NHL, so that they reduced the uh, f- previously 14-day quarantine, and now uh, each player only has to wait seven days in a hotel room with uh, daily COVID testing before they can join the team. And, uh, well, yeah, this was one of the major obstacles that a lot of people were talking about here when it comes to the trade deadline. Will the Canadian teams just kind of trade within themselves because they don't want to wait two damn weeks to get their brand new player? Um, well, uh, it seems to be that, uh, that that's been drastically reduced by half. And, uh, yeah, one week feels a lot more reasonable if you're trading for a guy uh, than two weeks. I think it makes quite a bit of a difference, especially when you're talking about you know players getting adjusted with their new team before the playoffs start. Not only that, Eric Stahl had a modified uh, no-move clause or no-trade clause, and he was one of the players who reportedly, because apparently Toronto was in on him a little bit as well, uh, he said when, when it was still 14 days that he would be really hesitant to waive his clause to go to any Canadian team because, you know, sitting uh, in a hotel room by yourself for two weeks sounds very unpleasant, and one week uh, is significantly better. So Montreal was, I think, one of the 10 teams. He said, yeah, I'll go there. And so it makes a difference for the teams themselves who are like, it's much more reasonable for us to make this deal. Well, we'll just have to wait one week instead of two, especially the timing of it, where now Stahl will only miss, uh, what, two games, maybe three games. Um, and for the players as well, I assume it's much better for them, especially ones who wouldn't have gotten to choose whether or not they get traded to Canada and now have to, you know, quarantine against their will before they join the Vancouver Canucks for the end of season tank. Yeah, exactly. All right. So moving on to uh, other news for the Habs, the other big piece, uh, noted prospect that we are both big fans of ever since he was drafted in 2019. Cole Caulfield, uh, fresh off his uh, wonderful season uh, in the NCAA for Wisconsin, has signed his entry-level contract with the Habs. And, uh, yeah, looking primed to as soon as that AHL season starts, maybe taking a crack at the playoff roster for the Habs. Oh, man, that'd be a lot of fun. 30 goals in 31 games for University of Wisconsin this year. Include right down to the wires. They got upset, uh, Wisconsin, in the first round of the playoffs. They were down like 5-1 in the third period. And still, he uh, he scored, sniped to make it 5-2. Of course, it wasn't quite enough for his team. But, yeah, I was kind of... Because last year, uh, right after he got drafted, um, the nineteen twenty season, he was a point a game 
uh, University of Wisconsin. And I was like, sign him, sign him, bring him to Laval, let him play. And Mark Bergman said, eh, now one more year. And now, not just a point a game, he was nearly a goal a game this year, plus 22 assists, 52 points in 31 games. And at that point, you know, he left absolutely no doubt that he's done with college hockey. And, you know, I kind of, you know, it kind of shows a little bit about, about why I may not be uh, in the in player development because it really is a much better strategy to let players develop in lower levels until they're overripe and clearly prepared to make the jump instead of hoping like, oh yeah, he's pretty good at college. Let's try him in the American Hockey League. Uh, but yeah, I have much more faith now um, that Cole Caulfield is probably about to tear it up with a Laval Rocket, especially because of how well the Rocket have been doing. Cole Caulfield is probably, you know, a welcome, a new top liner. It's going to be great for them. And Joel Bouchard has apparently been, uh, you know, kind of a coaching revelation for them. I think I even saw, like, some of his coaching opponents have, have like, went out of their way to praise the Rocket for how well they're coached. So uh, it's pretty nice that the Canadians minor league affiliate has made the turn from like you know five years ago being like the laughing stock of the ahl to now being kind of a, a great place for players to develop yeah got a whole bunch of nice names in there too uh and yeah you don't want to you don't want to what i guess sour you don't want to pick the sour fruit right just uh if we're continuing with that ripe analogy um so uh yeah it, <laughs> it really does seem like that year did wonders for him uh and you know the world juniors he wasn't so great and people were Harping on him, especially the freaking Leafs fans. Uh, but now look at him. He's a shoo-in for the Hobie Baker now, I think. And the yeah, Hart Trophy. Don't stud. forget, 10 years in a row. And the Hart Exactly. Uh, and the Art Ross and the Vesna. Uh, but, uh, you know, just, yeah, it, it looks absolutely fantastic. Uh, best college player this year. Not even close. And, yeah, time to make the jump. No doubt about it that he's ready for the AHL. And... Yeah, you look at all the scrubs in the AHL, he'll absolutely tear them up. Uh, that's the full expectations because he's he's taking big steps. Big steps apparently is good. He's better in the defensive zone too now. And so, yeah, great great plan there, Bergevin, in terms of uh, keeping him down in college. You save a year of the entry level as well uh, by doing that. And so, yeah, lots of fun there. And super excited. Super, super excited to see him. Uh, hopefully, yeah, maybe we'll see him this year in the playoffs. If I had, to, I'm not trying to get my hopes up. Uh, I don't think we're going to see Cole Caulfield play for the Canadians this year unless we get a string of injuries, which obviously we're not hoping for. Uh, and the reason I think that is is because of all the depth on the wings. You, you, Arturi Lekkonen is already out of the lineup. You want to put Caulfield in? Who are you taking out? Byron, Corey Perry, Yoel Armia. I personally, I don't see it happening. Um, if they did have more openings, I think they would be more than happy to have Cole Caulfield play. But because of all the depth on the wings, it kind of gives them the liberty to continue to take it slow with his development, allow him to adjust to professional hockey. Whereas if he were a prospect of a team like the Devils, who have like Mikhail Maltsev on the second line, then I'm sure they would love to you know, uh, bring Cole Caulfield straight into the NHL, and I'm sure he would do fine. But Montreal, they have the freedom to take it a little more slow because of all the great wingers they have. Yeah, it's nice. It's certainly a nice luxury to have. But, uh, you know, I what I say is, uh, you know, replace, why not? Replace one of those dudes. Uh, slide him in. Give him some, uh, give him some limited minutes. You're not taking him away from uh, any AHL time at that point because that season's over. And so, yeah, I say, what the hell not? You're just putting him in for a few minutes. Give him a taste of the game. Uh, and... 
don't think it could possibly hurt. Maybe I'm wrong. I am clearly not a player development guy, uh, just like you. So, uh, you know, hey, but that would be fun, though, is what I'm saying. Maximum fun would be seeing him during the playoffs or even just near the end of the regular season. Uh, but, yeah, it's coming, though. It's coming. If it's not this season, it's definitely next season, probably, you know, like, or maybe yep, he stays in the sure. HL. Who the hell knows? But uh, it's sure looking like it's coming soon now, now that he signed his uh, DLC. I cannot wait. Cole Caulfield. Um, I I've told I won't tell the story again of when I found out that uh, he had been <laughs> drafted. Uh, but I will say for anyone who has heard this story or even has just probably been listening to our podcast, even if you haven't, uh, could probably understand that we have quite the fondness for this player. And I mean, even you just look at his play on the ice, it's kind of you know, uh, you can see why. Also, like even in interviews, isn't he so lovable? He has this kind of like raspy voice. And I don't know if you saw. Actually, I I wanted to point this out. Uh. I think Cold Coffee maybe he like made an Instagram post or something about signing his ELC and Trevor Zegris, who you know had been his teammate uh, with at like the development program at the World Juniors, uh, commented, "You're my favorite player," but he spelled your Y O U R, and Cold Caulfield replied, "Asterisk uh, spelling your correctly with the apostrophe R E," and I was like, "Yes, beautiful! What a smart person! What a smart little boy!" Uh, so yeah, but whenever he does make his Montreal Canadiens NHL debut. Uh, it's going to be party time for me. Uh, I'm going to, I don't know. I wish that we would be able to have like a watch party for it or something. I don't know. I'm going to have all the snacks. I'm going to, I'm going to do something special for it when Cold Caulfield finally makes his debut. Cause I've been looking forward to this for nearly two years now. Yeah. And hopefully we'll have, uh, you know, you know, this is uh, maybe too ambitious, but uh, we can have, you know, maybe the NHL, who knows, with this whole new broadcasting thing. Maybe they'll have individual player angles, and then you can you can get a cold camera up there on a second screen or some shit like that. Uh, cold cam. <laughs> cold cam. All right. Okay, so. <laughs> just his face. Uh, yeah, exactly. On the bench. Uh, we're just watching two minutes at a time on the bench. He gets on the ice for a minute, and then he proceeds to return to the bench. All right. So, uh, okay, so moving on from the Hab stuff, unless you have anything else to add. Uh, but aside from that, really, there were no games, so uh, you know, not much to say. Uh, we'll move to the uh, well. There's so many big things, but uh, we'll move to the uh, I guess the biggest headline the biggest from the league this week. Yeah, is uh, Mr. Tim Fucking Peel, uh, who was uh busted via hot mic, uh, with some crazy circumstance, uh, which we'll get into. Uh, but basically. Uh, we heard every everybody who was watching that game, who you know, I can't imagine it was many because of Detroit National, but nonetheless, uh, the people who were uh, were treated to a little soundbite, or he was like, well, he was talking about he called the penalty on Nashville, um, where he's like, it wasn't much, but I wanted to get a fucking penalty against Nashville early, uh, which is fucking well, you know, okay, it's it's so many things. First of all, it's expect like like we all knew this was happening. But it's shocking to hear it on our TVs, like outright like this. Uh, and uh, he was promptly relieved of his future referee duties. Not fired, uh, but he won't be refereeing now or in the future. Um, despite, you know, well, he was about to retire at the end of the season. But uh, what's your take on this? First of all, I have a lot of thoughts about this, and I've had some time to collect them because this happened pretty early in the week. Uh, first of all, I want to point out how ridiculous it is that someone's last name is Peel. Like a, like a fucking orange or something. Peel. Get a real last name, Tim. Uh, anyway, I won't criticize Tim Peel specifically for what he did. And that sounds strange. Here's why I won't criticize Tim Peel specifically. Because I'd much rather 
criticize all referees altogether for this. And actually, maybe maybe that's even the wrong take because I want to criticize the NHL and probably the owners specifically because the referees will follow orders. They have. Uh, when you tell them after the 2005 lockout that they want uh, a crackdown on interference, get rid of it, uh, call it more harshly, and then they do. And now... Uh, when you when you would tell them, oh yeah, we can't have too many games where one team has many more penalties than the other, they'll say, okay, got it. We'll now consciously, if we called a penalty against the Red Wings, we'll try our best to get the next one against the Predators. So Tim Peel was really just following instructions from his bosses, and all the other referees are doing the exact same thing. And that's the what the problem is: is that the directions they're getting are, hey, keep things even in terms of the penalty minutes. Uh, and what I couldn't wrap my mind around was the people who were so close to getting the point but just ended up missing it by an incredibly wide margin, saying things like, uh, oh, yeah, uh, it's too bad that Tim Peel got, uh, was, is the scapegoat. I'm like, yes, it is too bad Tim Peel is the scapegoat. And they were like, yeah, because all referees do this every single game. And I'm like, yeah, all referees do this every single game. And then they go, and that's okay. And I'm like, wait, rewind a second. <laughs> what do you, what do you mean? Game management. You really want, you really want referees actively looking to call penalties against one team because they, they just called the last one against the other one. It's ridiculous. And hopefully this, because we all kind of knew that this was happening. You look through all the games, you see how close all the penalties are. It's like, you know, 4-3 in one game, 2-2 two, two the next, 6-5 the next. They go up together, they go down together, but they always stay close together For the besides some rare exceptions. Um, hopefully, this Tim Peel thing is the first step towards resolving the problem. And I think people are probably going to pay much closer attention to this now. And they'll see, oh yeah, that was kind of a weak call because I guess the last two were against the other teams. They were looking to get one for us. Hopefully this will raise some more awareness about this type of thing. And maybe, just maybe, uh, the owners or whoever is instructing these referees is going to say, yeah, yeah, maybe uh, stop trying to even things out and just call the book. Yeah, you know, that's that's hopeful. That's very hopeful. Uh, but you know what? This was really the first incident uh, that really kind of brought the whole thing to light, right? Uh, because, you know, many of us have seen, you know, you look on Twitter and all that. People have been harping on this for years, right? Because it's been blatantly obvious. Like, yeah, you talk about, uh, like, you're, you're, you draw a graph for each team, right? Uh, penalties called and penalties uh, against. Penalty called for, penalties called against. It's a fucking straight line, all right? Uh, and so... You know, it's it's clearly a, a whole freaking problem here throughout the league. You know, Tim Peel, what was his worst offense here? It was not in the eyes of the league. It was not, right, it wasn't do, saying what he said because I think refs say that all the freaking time. I think, you know, the issue with here that the NHL has was that he got caught doing it, right? And that's the fault of some, yes. you know, some dude in the van fucking, like, playing with the volume button on the mic, on the ref mic. And so, you know kind of same kind of deal with the whole fight it's like it's a weird technical scenario kind of like the the thing that happened uh what was it what was that happened last time with uh yeah, yeah it was a fucking goal review jackets, right with, yeah with the, uh, yeah with the with the middle fucking man who's like yeah it's a good goal uh same kind of deal just like these <laughs> fucking nobodies these interns all right in the fucking sound booth all right cranking the wrong fucking thing or saying the wrong thing at the wrong time um and that's the only reason this thing happened this, this thing was exposed because this shit happens all the time it's clear and obvious um, like the best predictor of who's getting the next penalty 
which team is getting the next penalty? It was who got the last penalty, right? Uh, and it's the opposite of what you expect. It's just like you go the other way. Uh, so it's 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 a whole fucking problem right now. Uh, and like I'm not optimistic. Like I think the NHL kind of likes it. I don't know what it is, but like yeah, as you said, the refs are getting orders, right? So for some reason, the NHL has this thing with game management. I mean, like, not only is it even, but, like, you'll never fucking see these calls in the third period. Late in the third period was tied or in overtime. Um, you'll never see that, right? I mean, you, you see the fucking next night. You see the next night. Uh, who was it? Like, Wade Simmons it was the Leafs. He gets fucking tripped. It's so obvious. It's so obvious he gets tripped and then he's fucking pissed. So he goes to the ref to talk. The camera's on this interaction. And you know what? This guy, Eric Furlat, the fucking ref, he covers his mic. He covers his fucking mic. And so, you know, like, clearly the lesson learned here was don't get caught on the mic, not make better calls. Uh, so, like, it's it's clearly a systemic problem here. Um, and the refs know it. The refs fucking know it. The guy covered his, the cover, he, like, he covered covered the mic with his hand. Um, and so that's, that's about as egregious as you can get right there in terms of, like, a guilty look. Uh, and, you know, they haven't addressed it. If they addressed it, the ref wouldn't do that. Uh, and... You know, like, I'm not that optimistic because I think the NHL likes it how it is. Is it good for the game? Absolutely not. I mean, we're talking about penalties here, left and right, teams who should be getting caught, like teams who play with speed, like the Leafs, and sure, you know, the Oilers, just their first line. Um, you know, they, they should get penalties called against or for them many more times than they actually do, right? Uh, but instead, you see this bullshit, uh, and yeah, the NHL loves it. I don't know why. I don't know what it is. Um, but, and some of the fans do too. What the hell is up with that? Uh, why do you, why do you, why don't you want the game called properly? That's completely absurd to me. Um, it's the dumbest shit ever. I mean, you don't want the refs to get involved in the game while by not calling anything, they are actively getting, they are getting more involved in the game that they could ever possibly be. Uh, and you know, like, it's just, it's so stupid. And from a gambling, I've seen a lot of people talking about the gambling aspect. How how could you possibly maximize gambling revenue when nobody wants to fucking bet on this dog shit league because, and the refs are deciding whatever penalties they want to call based on what the hell they called five minutes ago. Uh, it makes absolutely no sense. It's so stupid. And uh, the NHL has its head up its ass. And it still does, I, I believe. You know, like, I think this whole yep. change thing, it'll come perhaps, but I think we're still a long way from it. I think the NHL still believes things are fine. Yeah, I, the fact that the one time a referee got caught on a hot mic was he also happened to be talking about how he was deliberately calling a penalty against the Predators probably does go to show how often this happens. And I think the reason the NHL likes it, likes these even calls, is that for a very casual fan who isn't necessarily the smartest of casual fans, uh, which, to be honest, is the vast majority of people anyway, especially sports fans, uh, it, it gives the illusion of fairness when the penalties are about even. Like, oh, it's fair, the referees are unbiased because they called the same amount of penalties for either team, which is, of course, not how it works. And if the NHL did have a sudden change to calling the book, and we all of a sudden we have these games where one team has seven penalties and the other one has zero, then a vast majority, or at least a significant portion of fans for the team will think, oh, we've been shafted. Oh, the refs are biased. They're against us because that's how hockey fans are conditioned to think. And the fact that there are these even up calls all the time certainly doesn't help. And what we've ended up with over the past long time is teams like the Bruins who have found a lot of success, especially a lot of people cite the 2011 Stanley Cup run. They found a lot of success in, uh, especially in the playoffs, in playing dirty and taking penalties and doing it constantly, not only because uh, penalties, you know, uh, go down in the playoffs, but also because of even up calls. They know, like, if Zdeno Jara cross checks you in the neck three times in a row, maybe they'll call one. But then the next call is probably going to go against the other team, and then we'll get a power play. 
And the only reason we got that power play is because of the penalty that we took that the refs wanted to even up. Uh, so really, it's it's a strategy that um that the, that the Bruins kind of I feel like uh, uh, did first, and I'm sure plenty of teams have tried to replicate along the way since then. And I mean, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you try to take as many penalties as possible so that you'll get more power plays? Especially if you have a good power play, that might be a good idea. Um, but this issue of like even up calls, and the issue of not calling um like putting your whistles away late in the games or whatever or you know like not calling uh stuff on star players i find that those are kind of two separate issues which of course is a bad sign that there are two separate issues with refereeing and if we want to talk about that other one with like you know how many like you see mcdavid on one end-to-end rush and you're like oh there are like sometimes three things that the opponents did that could have feasibly been called penalties um it's the other hockey culture thing of like you know loving the scrubs and the fourth liners and just being like oh yeah uh fucking i don't know jay beagle isn't good enough isn't as good as Connor mcdavid he's not fast enough to keep up so it's okay for jay beagle to like slash Connor mcdavid because that's the only way he can get there no that's what not what you should be doing what you should be saying is Connor mcdavid is a hundred times better than jay beagle so jay beagle's choices are either to allow Connor mcdavid to skate by him or for jay beagle to take a penalty uh, and that's just what happens when you have one player that's better than another player is the other player will try to keep up. And that's where penalties should be coming from. Yeah, they should be. But I think another aspect of it is that the refs don't want to fucking call penalties. I think as a general rule, they don't like calling penalties. I think if they could choose whether to choose to call a penalty or not call a penalty, a hundred times out of a hundred, they would choose. I'd rather not call the penalty because they quote unquote, don't want to get involved in the game. Um, but, like, I think that's it, right? Because if you call the penalty every single time at this point, like, at this point in time, right now, the way the game is played, uh, that any, like, someone grabs or hooks or does some shit to Connor McDavid, you'd have a million penalties for the Oilers. And would I have a problem with that? Absolutely not. I think that's how it should be. But I think some people do. And I think the NHL, for some freaking dumbass reason, wants that. Um, and, I, like, I don't think they love the whole, like, I don't know, 10 penalties a game or whatever the hell it is. And so, like, refs turn a blind eye. I think the standard right now for what a penalty is, is just too high. Like, you should be calling the book. You should call it by the book. And they are not doing that right now. Uh, and so, yeah, that disproportionately affects, you know, players like McDavid. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I subscribe to the idea that they love the fourth line players in particular. I think it's just that it just happens to be that the system, the system and the way that the game is played right now happens to benefit these players more. Uh, and... That's not right because it's just letters entertaining. I don't want. I don't fucking care about what Jay Beagle does. I couldn't care less. Um, I care about what Connor McDavid does, both from a fantasy perspective, but also from a hockey fan, <laughs> a hockey fan perspective. Uh, and you know, and it, like, really, it just doesn't these, make any sense. Yeah. These two things kind of do come down to the same problem, which is trying to create artificial parity. Uh, makeup calls tries to create parity, and allowing lower end players to do whatever they want to obstruct higher end players is another form of artificial parity of trying to prop up the lower end players and bring down the superstars. Uh, so really, it is kind of the same problem. But if if we did see this revamped thing where they do start calling everything, all the cross checks in front of the net every time someone slashes or hooks Connor McDavid. We would see what was seen after the 2005 lockout, which is a big spike in penalties right at the beginning. And then as many other, you know, intelligent people have pointed out, the players would adapt. They would get used to it, just like they did after 2005. The game would open up a lot more. Superstar players would have a little more room. Uh, and I think the game would improve drastically because of it. And I don't, I don't know if you've seen these clips of, like, Mario Lemieux 
from like skating around the entire offensive zone in 1999. Usually Yarmir Yager is there too. And I, I saw one recently. He was just like going around and around in circles and whoever they were playing against, I don't like Chicago or Edmonton or something, just kept on, you know, hooking and tripping and slashing. And it wasn't even subtle. It was absolutely egregious. So much so that even even by today's standards, there probably would have been at least a couple penalties called on the play. And he's just still managed to hold on to the puck. And so it's it's just it's terrible because obviously Mario Lemieux did have a lot of injury problems that kind of cut his career short, and I think a lot of that probably was to do with how much they let uh, Scrubs get away with, you know, hitting him in the knees, uh, not getting calls for it, and this kind of thing probably when I look at clips like that has gotten a little bit better over the years. But, you know, we saw it with, like, Brandon Manning in 2015 or 2016, just, like, cross-checking Connor McDavid into the boards. And people feel like, you know, even someone like Joel Edmonton cross-checking Austin Matthews 10 times in a row in front of the net, that these players feel like they can get away with hurting the superstar players, which is obviously not only bad for their health, but it's bad for the quality of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It makes absolutely no sense. Uh, And, like, we talk about what happened after the lockout, right? Like, it was nice. Like, they called the penalty, the interference in particular, and it was looking like it was going in a direction. But then what happened was the NHL kind of pandered to the people who were whining and stopping and whining about all the freaking penalties. When, in, if they had just waited a bit, you know, it probably would have adjusted, right? But I don't think it, I don't think the NHL gave enough time for that whole new penalty, uh, that new whole penalty-filled world to kind of settle down, and, you know, the immediate reaction was, oh, no, so many penalties, so many power plays, which, by the way, uh, I'm in favor of because, like, you get a whole bunch of goals, you get comebacks, you get, like, just goals are better. Um, but, you know, if that's not if that's not what you're into, um, it would have eventually settled down. Uh, and I think just, like, the NHL just kind of, like, you know, cowered it out, so to speak, as they do with most things. Uh, and here we are. Because I think if they had kind of let the whole... the, the the penalty thing run its course. I think we'd be in a better spot right now. And but I think the NHL, frankly, I think they're scared. I think they're scared of properly calling everything. I think they're scared it's going to ruin the quote unquote balance that they so you know desperately like and want. Um, with the, with all the penalties, and I just, I mean, that's that's one of the reasons why it's such a dog shit league. They can't call the game right, uh, and it's really down to them, right? It's not really down to the refs because while you know it, they're they're getting orders straight from the league. So, uh, yeah, I think this is a league problem. And I think their, their, their head is still not at the right place. They don't want to make the, the, the right changes if we want to see a decrease in these kind of uh, bullshit non-calls. Yeah, I mean, I'm not down for, like, a long-term situation where, like, half the game is played on power plays, even though it would uh, create more goals. I think, uh, I mean, for one thing, it kind of, you know, uh, conditions us as fans to like sit around and wait for power plays. Cause that's the only place where goals ever happen. But in the short term, while you wait for players to adjust, I can sit through it. Even if we need an entire season of an infl- inflated power plays, if the payoff is uh, a game that's called properly, then I'm all for it. Yeah, I think so. I think it'll be very quick. If you see that your team, if both teams are getting called, like say at the very beginning, like nine penalties a night and you can get your team to stop taking nine penalties a night. I mean, then we're talking about many, many pounds, like much more power play time for your team compared to your opponent, right? Um, and so, yeah, yeah, it's really about getting away from that uh, penalty parity. Do you want to talk about how the Sabres and their asking price uh, for Jack Eichel? Because I thought this was pretty interesting. 
And for I don't know why I didn't really see it making the rounds as much. I thought it would, that would kind of like been kind of big news that apparently the asking price for Jack Eichel is four first round picks. Um, and I saw this on Yahoo, and I can't really find it anymore. But I just started looking like five seconds ago. Uh, but I definitely saw it. asking price for Jack Eichel was four first round picks. Uh, or maybe that was just a rumored asking price. But either way, um, what teams looking around do you think? would be willing to and it would be smart to give up four first rounders for Jack Eichel because of course the leading front runners uh this whole time in the rumor mill have been the Rangers and the LA Kings uh obviously neither one of them can really you know they couldn't fit Jack Eichel under the cap like at the, like immediately and I don't think the trade would be like at this deadline I think it would happen at the earliest this offseason the LA Kings actually do have enough room because of all the ELCs they have. Uh, they are still somewhat rebuilding, though, even though they have a nice prospect pool. So I don't know if they'd be so willing to give up the next uh, four years worth of uh, first rounders. But a team that's maybe like the Rangers, who imagine themselves to be a little closer to contention, maybe even like the Carolina Hurricanes or something. Um, what teams do you think uh, pop to your mind? Okay. Well, first of all, though, uh, I just I don't think it's smart for any team that's not immediately in Stanley Cup contention, frankly, to make this kind of trade. Because you're giving up four first-round picks. That is so many. Um, and you are gambling right there that you are not giving up any, like, real, like, lottery picks, right? That's what you're gambling on. Uh, and, you know, you give up one, maybe, that's fine, because you're talking about uh, former second overall pick Jack Eichel here, who happens to be absolutely fantastic. But still, you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you're giving up, like, the fifth pick, the third pick, that's fifth pick this and then like the seventh pick like that's like frankly that that like no matter how good jack eichel is you're talking about completely screwing yourself down the road uh for like a decade right because you missed out on so many nice picks um so like teams like look the kings i don't think it makes sense because they're currently rebuilding would it be nice to add a piece like jack eichel absolutely however um i just think right now they're not a very fucking good team will they make the jump in a couple years i think absolutely they'll be very dangerous uh very dangerous young team however to give up the next couple of years in terms of draft picks? Like, how old is Jack Eichel right now? I just want to... Uh, 24, I believe. 24. Okay, so he's like, he's still very much, you know, get, starting to get into his prime. In his prime. That's like, you know, yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's getting in there, and he's getting better every year. Uh, well, maybe not on Buffalo, but on a different team, certainly. Yeah. So, you know, uh, like LA, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I could talk myself into it. Uh, with the Rangers... Man, I don't fucking know, man. I don't think that's a good fit at all. Because I think the 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 where the Rangers think they are and where the Rangers are, I think it's two pretty fucking different spots right now. I think they're they're worse off right now than they actually think they are. I mean, you just look at where they are in the standings. Uh, you know, despite your whatever beating the, the pants off of the Flyers twice in like six days. Um, like I don't I don't have much faith in this team. Um, we're talking about like Panarin and Zibanejad who aren't particularly young. And if you're you're not you're not a Stanley Cup contender. Don't try to fool yourself into that. Even adding Jack Eichel, I'm completely unconvinced. Um, so, the Rangers. You know, the Carolina. Now, there's a team that you threw out there at the end. I think it's very interesting. I think it's very, very, very interesting. Because, I mean, look, this team freaking it rocks, right? Uh, you look Like, they're challenging right now Tampa Bay for first in their division. And the fucking good team. And it's relatively young. Their core, you know, Aho, Teravainen. Uh, and Sveshnikov and all that, uh, and you add Jack, Jack Eichel to the mix, 
I mean, that's absolutely preposterous. I don't think the like with that core, do you see the Hurricanes coming in uh, more than once as like a top 10 pick? I really, I seriously doubt it. And so, you know what? I really like, I don't know what the cap situation is like in Carolina, but I really like the fit there because we're talking about, yeah, they'd be building a serious juggernaut with that core for like the next four years when you're giving up your picks. Yeah, and it actually looks like Carolina does have a somewhat flexible cap situation. I don't uh, intimately understand the difference on cap friendly between current cap space and deadline cap space, but current cap space is about five and a half million, and deadline cap space is about nine million. Uh, and you know, obviously, there still is the option to send back uh, the hefty final year of like Nino Niederreiter's contract the other way, or like I don't know whoever Brady Shea, whatever I don't know. Uh, along with those four first rounders, uh, but yeah, Buffalo, man, they're so much fun to keep an eye on. I pointed this out to you. I was like, when I was watching Buffalo, um, the other night playing, I think it was Pittsburgh, and I was just like, wow, this is honestly shock. This is so fun to watch. They're that bad. They were just blowing coverages left and right. Uh, they lost to Pittsburgh like five one, I think. Uh, and Linus Elmark was back yesterday from his injury, and he played outstandingly against the Bruins and they actually were going into the third period with a lead with Jean-Sébastien Dea as the top line center just having been called up from Rochester after trading Eric Stahl he was in between I think Taylor Hall and and Sam Reinhardt or something on the top line Jean-Sébastien Dea and we're like is this the game is Allmark has he come to save them uh alas it wasn't to be the Bruins scored twice in that third period for a 3-2 regulation win and Buffalo's losing streak is now up to 17 games, which I believe tied them for uh, second longest of all time, at least in the modern era. So if they lose one more game, then they will have sole possession of that uh, second longest losing streak in NHL history. Yeah, and and they'll be tied for the first one, I think, uh, which uh, is the Pittsburgh Penguins. 2003-2004 is 18 games. Um, I mean, just for the sake of this losing streak, I think Linus Allmark, uh, definitely gives them a boost in terms of uh, chances of pulling them out. You look at their next game, it's against the Flyers, who fucking suck. Um, so I think I think the streak is in danger. I think it's in serious fucking danger because I'm a big believer in Linus Allmark. I think he's a fantastic goal. I think he's grossly underrated because he was, like, his save percentage was not bad uh, for a team that freaking sucked. So, uh, you know, I think, I think if, if anything... This is the game right here, right before we get to the record, which would be a damn shame, I think, honestly. Um, I just want to point out, by the way, I did the math just the other day, last night, actually. Um, and after that Bruins loss, they are actually sub-40 point pace over the course of an 82-game season, which yes, I noticed is remarkably low. What's that? I was going to say, yeah, I noticed that that they are on a significantly worse pace than last year's Detroit Red Wings, uh, who we were talking about as if they were just the all-time bottom of the barrel. But here, this Buffalo Sabres team, obviously the fact that so many of them had COVID has uh, played a big part in it. Uh, but not that the roster was so great to begin with. This might be uh, the worst performance of a team in the NHL that we've ever seen, especially when you take into account the fact that they're were that they weren't expected to be last in the league, and now they're like ten points behind thirtieth place. Yeah, they're not even close to like Detroit and Ottawa. An embarrassing, an embarrassingly low bar. We're talking about a team that acquired Taylor Hall over the off season, uh, and I mean, yeah, well, historically bad. Seventeen games in a row losing like that will do that to you and your record. Um, but you know, it really seems like the entire organization, well, especially the players in the locker room, have given up. 
You know, uh, you listen to the, the the press conference with the stall, and he talks about like so many obstacles, so many hurdles. Um, and yeah, that sounds like a guy who felt that his team had kind of given up, and maybe even he had given up a little bit as part of uh, that organization. And hopefully, he could spark something with the Habs. But uh, it really seems like that team is just completely broken uh, on the ice. They, well, you know, like they look mentally broken. You talk about all these breakdowns uh, and. Yeah, like I don't like I can't possibly imagine this getting much better. Um, you talk about like statistical regression or whatever the hell you want about this team, uh, and frankly, I don't see it coming based on how they're playing. They're absolutely uh, atrocious. And yeah, you sent me that roster. I mean, like freaking JS Dea, never heard of this dude. Uh, and first line center, um, is he the best center on the team? No, but like you know, just the 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 optics of that is freaking hilarious. So. Uh, yeah, the Sabres, the hits keep on rolling. They keep on rolling. And hopefully, by the time we get back on the podcast next week, we'll have uh, a new all-time losing streak on our hands here. Yeah, well, if Jean-Sebastien Dea isn't the best center on, on the current lineup, then is it Riley Cheyenne, Curtis Lazar, or Cody Eakin? Your thoughts? <laughs> Fucking tough question um, right here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have to go with Curtis Lazar. That's my first instinct. Yeah, okay. I think maybe Cody Eakins a bit better, but I don't know. Yeah, uh, they, all, really? they all freaking suck. Uh, that's pretty gross. Yeah, I don't know, man. It is, it is pretty gross. It, like, the whole team is pretty freaking gross. Dea. Maybe he is the best one there. You really. know what? Maybe it is. Wow. Okay, wow. What a statement. Very all right. Interesting. <laughs> um, okay. All right. So, what, what, anything else you want to add to the Sabres? Yeah, I was just going to say I'm very excited for the Linus Allmark sweepstakes um, in this offseason. Yeah. Very excited to see uh, where he goes and where he flourishes into a Vesna candidate. Because, of course, as always, I'm sure plenty of teams will be looking for a goal. I just hope he doesn't stay in Buffalo. He deserves better than that. Uh, but I kind of have a feeling, I don't know, that maybe he'll be like, oh, they need me, and like stick around, which, of course, is the most hockey player thing he could possibly do. Uh, yeah. Oh, very, very interesting. We were just talking last week about how Buffalo barely, uh, were like missing some draft picks. Now they've added two of Montreal's for this year and they are up to eight, eight draft picks for 2021. Look at them go restocking the cupboards. (laughs) Congratulations. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think, uh, a team should offer a line of a fat chunk of change because like he has been a bona fide starter. A bonus, like games played wise and stats wise, he's been absolutely fantastic. Especially considering there's literally nobody good in front of him, like nobody good in front of him anymore. Uh, well, you know now that Jack Eichel's gone, so you know, uh, and he's only 27 years old. He's only 27 years old. So if I'm, you know what, if I'm the Leafs, I'm giving this guy a whole bunch of money. You know, I think it makes sense. If I'm Kyle Dubas, that's what I would do. Um, I think Linus Allmark. I think he's the, I think he's the most. Underrated goalie on the market this coming up, UFA. Uh, and I think he's one of the better options. I seriously think so. I think he's really being held back by this Buffalo team. And if you put a really good team in front of him, I think he'll be absolutely fantastic. 27. Yeah, I mean, San Jose, of course, still needs a goalie. Maybe they take a run at him. Maybe the Blackhawks, you know, lots of options all around. Even Carolina, Nadelchkovic has kind of had a coming out party. But uh, Mrazik and Reimer, I believe, are both in the last years of their contracts. Uh, so who knows? Who knows? We'll see when free agency comes, I guess. Oh, um, imagine before. Imagine this. Imagine what? Carolina. Carolina acquires Jack Eichel and then signs Linus Allmark to be in tandem with Nadalchkovich. Like that. Is that better than Tampa? Down the cup. Maybe. 
Very well, Stanley maybe. Cup incoming. Honestly, they also we do actually. Yeah. Dougie Hamilton also needs a new deal, so that w- would be a lot to squeeze in. Oh, okay. Michael plus Hamilton right. plus Allmark, but who knows? Anything's possible. Um, all right. All right. Uh, a couple of things to get to before we get to our second ever draft of something miscellaneous. Uh, the, those new draft lottery uh, proposals that were proposed a while back officially have gotten through. So we have abandoned the system that I loved so much. Uh, we'll miss you three lotteries. Uh, it's been a nice five years, a nice run. Perhaps we'll meet again someday. Uh, this new system, though, I just hope that they commit to it. And But, of course, that won't happen. Of course, some team is going to either tank too much or or and either win or not win. And either way, it's going to be a big problem. And then they're going to have to change the system again. And uh, I, give th- I, I think they'll stick to this one a little longer. I'll give th- this one, like, seven years. Last one five, this one seven, and then they'll switch it. All right, that's ambitious. Well, that's the thing, right? It only happens. The lottery only happens once a year, so it takes a while for Edmonton to win four lotteries. All right. Um. So, well, actually, they uh, can't with this new system. Ah, um, exactly. All right. So, it only takes four years for Detroit to lose four more lotteries in a row. There uh, we go. And then the, the uh, next draft lottery okay. will have a like a Detroit tax in it where it's like, and the Red Wings always have an extra 4% chance. <laughs> and the Red Wings always get a two-spot boost, no matter what. Um, yeah. Just, just to make up years. for past years. Exactly. Okay. Imagine they I'm had like for a draft. lottery yeah. reparations built into the system. That would be so gross. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, as if this... As if this whole draft lottery thing couldn't be more, uh, well, slanted towards certain teams. Um, wow. Yeah. Yikes. I can't believe they're actually changing it. Honestly, I did not expect this to happen. I thought this was like a rumor being floated out there. Um, but they actually fucking changed it. That is crazy to me. Yeah, not that surprising. Honestly, I think the fact yeah. that it yeah. became so public that it was pretty much a sure thing. And there it was. Wow. It's gone through. Uh, another thing. Uh, noted friend of Tony D'Angelo, Brendan Lemieux. Has oh, been traded to the LA Kings uh, for a fourth round pick, I believe it was. Uh, good on the Rangers for trying to clear out the trash. Better late than never, I guess. Uh, and I think even just from a hockey perspective, it was a good deal for them too because Brendan Lemieux is is, is is pretty bad. And I think the only reason he managed to get a fourth round pick because he was once a pretty highly touted prospect. Uh, but several people have pointed out um, that Quentin Byfield doesn't deserve this the same way Keandre Miller didn't deserve what he had to go through being teammates with Tony D'Angelo and Brendan Lemieux for a stretch. Uh, Quentin Byfield, Akil Thomas, probably both will be on the LA Kings before too long. And I feel badly that they have to, sh- that they may have to share a locker room with Brendan Lemieux. Yeah. Very unfortunate uh, for them to acquire this ass wipe. Uh, but uh, hopefully they don't stick him on the NHL team because, uh, well, he's not very good anymore. Right. Um, hockey wise, you know, I guess the Kings are buying low, right? A fourth round pick. It's not much, but I mean, you do have to take into account that he's a little shit. So, um, you know, well, that's from that perspective, not very smart from the Kings. Uh, and yeah, the Rangers, you know, they've made some progress. I would say you get rid of D'Angelo, like he's not playing on the team anymore this season. And now let me off your team. So the two dudes who, uh, I believe had a podcast together, um, now no longer on the, well, no longer playing for the Rangers, neither of them. So, uh. Well, at least it's some sort of character growth for the Rangers. 
last thing before we get to our, our special event. Uh, the NWHL finals were last night, and the Boston Pride beat the Minnesota Whitecaps. And all I have to say, I thought it was going to be on NBC. Turns out it was just on NBC Sportsnet, uh, which I don't get. This game wasn't on my television. Uh, I was trying to find it on Twitch. It was kind of a challenge, which I think is partly me and like not really being too familiar with how Twitch works. But Sportsnet, TSN, if you're listening, which I'm sure you are since you always do, put the NWHL on TV, please. I want to watch it. If I promise, if you make it easy for people to watch the NWHL, people will watch the NWHL. I don't think it's a secret at this point. That misogyny is the main thing keeping the NWHL for ha- from having a much bigger platform and therefore a much wider audience. Uh, put it on TV. I would have much rather watched that a finals game in the highest league that there is uh, than some random Jets Flames regular season game in the middle of March. So uh, there you go. That's my piece on that. Yeah. Ease of access. Uh, ease of access for the viewers. Definitely brings in the numbers. And. Uh... Yeah, I mean, the networks are only doing themselves a disservice. Yeah, and you you put it right. Like, uh, much rather watch a championship game than, like, the fucking Preds versus Blackhawks or whatever the fuck it is um, that was uh, at the same time. So, uh, then watch Tim Peel right. admit to, uh, to, you know, looking for a call against uh, Victor Robertson. Anyway. Right. Yeah. So, if you oh, listened... There was, one, there was one point on that Tim Peel thing. He, you know that quote that he was saying? Um... He was telling that to Nashville. Isn't that crazy? Like, the, the words that were, like, what? I think it was Forsberg. Yeah, Philip Forsberg came out and was like, yeah, he was talking to us when he said that. Um, <laughs> wow. So stupid. So fucking Which stupid. Which also goes to show uh-huh. that they probably hear that type of thing every single yeah. time they play a game. The fact that they weren't, they didn't come after the game and say, oh, this guy was fixing it for us. They're like, oh, yeah, that's just how it works. We weren't that surprised. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, I'm sure they hear it a lot. All right, you want to want to go ahead and introduce our uh, yes, draft let's introduce. All right, today? if you listen to our episode from four weeks ago, you'll you will have heard the debut of a new segment that we have now have in the rotation, which is drafts. I guess where uh, Tyson and I each drafted uh, six letters of the alphabet uh, and came up with our six letters, our teams. And uh, mine was, of course, significantly better than yours. And we're going to keep the tradition going here, drafting something else miscellaneous. Uh, our next topic is track and field events. Uh, we will each be drafting six track and field events. Uh, we went with only the ones that are currently in the Olympics are eligible to be drafted. I have my list right in front of me. I don't have a ranking uh, because, to be totally honest, none of these are very appealing to me. Uh, all of them are not only... Uh, boring to watch, but very few of them I think would be fun to take part in besides maybe some short races. Uh, and all of them give off the exact same energy and vibes. I don't have much of a strategy, uh, com- especially compared to the one I had four weeks ago. I'm curious to see what direction you're, you're, you're going to choose to go in. Okay. All right. Prepared. To- in that case, given your lack of preparation, clearly you are about to get absolutely smoked. Um, I don't have a ranking either. But I do have a very nice list in front of me, courtesy of uh, NBCOlympics.com. Uh, and you you can you can prepare for another, yet another loss. Need I remind you, I did win the last time in terms of public opinion. Yeah, but that doesn't really count. I think the person okay. who really decides the winner is me. Um, and oh, I pick myself every time. All right. Okay. So I actually, I had the first overall pick for our alphabet draft. So 
I think it would be only fair that you have the first overall pick for our track and field draft. Okay. All right. Uh, well, the first overall pick, you know, maybe a hot take. Maybe. But fuck it. I'm going to do it. I am going to draft the pole vault. Now, I knew, very it. I knew you were going to say pole vault. But the second okay. you were like, a uh, hot take, I was like, oh, he's going to do pole vault? Wow, of course he is. That's fucking right. That is fucking right. I'm going to draft the pole vault. Because, frankly, all right. So there's a, a couple of different things. And maybe it gives you a hint of my strategy here. But first of all, Pole vault's kind of cool. You know, like you have the pole. It does the little bendy thing. You get very high in the air. Uh, and, you know, you land on a big mat. It looks fun. You know, I could, if I could, if I was athletic, if I was athletic enough to try the pole vault, I would try it. Uh, and and the, the big point here is certainly more than the other fucking jumps that there are in track and field. Uh, the high jump is just jumping up. The long jump is just lo- jumping, like, forward. And the triple jump sucks. Um, and it's like the same as the high jump, I'm pretty sure. So like it, like, it's not even close. It's not even close. The different stratosphere compared to these other shitty jump events. I got the pole vault and that looks fun. And that is is way more than you could say about the other three jumping events. All right. Not a bad pick. Not a bad pick. Uh, for my first pick, second overall, uh, I would like to remind you that I am a person of the people and therefore I'm going to take what is probably the most popular event here. It definitely has the most marquee names. Usain Bolt comes to mind. Andre DeGrasse comes to mind. The 100-meter dash. That's my pick. All right. Always has tons of viewers at the Olympics. All right. Even I tune in to watch that. Uh, So I honestly think... And and there's also the fact that everyone around the world can do it. Pole vault, you need to buy a pole, expensive equipment. It's not as accessible as the 100-meter dash, which you can do anytime, anywhere. Fair enough. Okay. All right. That is a solid, very, very solid first round pick. Very admirable. Not as good as the pole vault. I don't think I'm getting as good value there, but I will respect it nonetheless. Okay. All right. Next up for the second pick, you know, I think, huh? I think I'll go, I think I'll go decathlon. Um, you know, it's just, I, are we splitting decathlon and heptathlon, by the way? Yeah, I split them. Okay. Fair enough. So I'll take the decathlon just just out of because uh, there's more events and so you get more fun. Uh, it's like a, it's like a, you know a tapas meal. You know you just get you got a little bit of everything uh, and the athletes are all kind of good at everything and it's lots of fun. You have a standing that kind of like you know the standings are fun. You know because like because uh, with all the other events you know it's just like you know you either it's either one shot like the hundred meter dash or maybe you see something with many different trials. But it's the same thing with the decathlon on the other hand. We're talking about a standing that's very dynamic. You know, some people are better at other things than others. You know, like it's very, it's very dynamic and exciting standings. It takes place over multiple days. I'm pretty sure sometimes. And so, you know, you're sleeping, you're wondering who's going to do better at the day two events. And it's just overall, I think I'm getting value here and I get some of everything, you know, like I get, it's like I'm drafting all these 10 events, not quite, but it's kind of like it. Um, So I'm going to take the decathlon with my second round pick. Yeah, all right. The thing with the decathlon, though, it takes so long. And who really has time in our fast-paced society to sit through, much less train for or take part in a decathlon? Which is why for my second pick, I'm going to go with something quick and easy. Big, strong man throwing a heavy ball, drafting the shot put, all right? Uh, 
This okay. takes practically no time. Once again, similarly to the 100-meter dash, anyone can take part in it. You don't even need the heavy one. You can just take anything, throw it as far as you can, and you've just done the shot put. So for I guess the theme of my draft so far is anyone can do it, and it doesn't take very long. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Next up, um, I will, uh, I'll do my, I'll do my running race thing. I'm taking the four by 100 meter relay. Um, and you know, very similar to your 100 meter dash, but you get four times the runners. How fun is that? Uh, and you get some teamwork, you get some, oh, you get some fun baton action going on where you got to pass it. The transition has got to be great. And you know, you got, it's just like you, like, it's very diamond, like, so, oh, you got to fucking, oh, maybe this team's putting their best runner as the anchor. Some teams put it as their head guy, like the, the, the first person to run, you know, it's just, it's very, you know, it's lots of fun to watch. I think, um, you know, the four by 100 and not as good as the 100 meters. I will admit, you know, you did take the value there, but I think it's a close second. And uh, that's where I'm going with here. You get that fun relay stuff. Relays are good. All right. I'm going to divert my previous strategy slightly uh, with my oh, next pick. Okay. Uh, in drafting the 20-kilometer race walk, uh, just because wow. the race walk is the funniest thing I've ever seen. I love it so You just watch these people like walking super fast. It's like, if you want to go fast, why don't you just run? But they're not allowed to. It's like they, have to, look, they all look like they have to take a piss or something. Uh, it's the greatest <laughs> thing. Quality TV. Uh, and once again, everyone can partake in a race walk all right fair point very nice very nice the race walk is 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 a wonderful event all right uh next i will be doing i'll be drafting from the uh the throw category just like you did with a shot put but i think i'm getting the better one frankly Uh, i will be taking the javelin um boo first of all first of all the javelin no it's a javelin it rocks the name rocks um, it's javelin. Like that is so fun to say. Starts with a J. You get a V. Like if we were drafting the alphabet, this is the name I would pick. Javelin, 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 javelin. I could say it so many times. It's so good. Um, but not only that, you 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 just roasted the javelin for being barbaric. When you're just you're just throwing a heavy ball. That's even more barbaric. Um, if I may say so myself. Not only that, it's also obsolete. Just fucking use a catapult. Meanwhile, um, I got the javelin here. The spears are pretty specialized. And the spears will also look pretty cool. And, you know, like, what looks cooler flying in the air? A javelin or a shot put? I think I have my answer. That's completely incorrect. Um, And, yeah, I think the javelin is just, it's the best throwing sport. Honestly, if I had the first throwing uh, pick, I would have taken javelin. I think I made a big mistake taking shot put. Um, I think think the shot put kind of stinks. You know, like, you got to put it up against your neck and everything. Um, It's like it's weird, you know? So, uh the javelin is much more normal. Like if, if we're talking about accessibility to the people, how about this? What are you more likely to do? Throw like normally, like overhand, like a sh- javelin or throw with some weird shit with your neck, you know, like you're doing the, uh, and then you have to like also turn. You're like, you're like spinning while you're throwing the ball and it's against your neck. And then you got to like launch it from there. Like, you're just like, a, like a, like, what is that? Like, uh, like, like a bad catapult. Is that what you're trying to be? Like, it's, it's terrible. Um, so I, I think you made a mistake on the shot, but I did. I refrained from saying it when I when you made the pick. But here I am, absolutely cooking your atrocious second round pick. Uh, I'm afraid you're sorely mistaken. Uh, the javelin 
is bad for multiple reasons. First of all, it's like an arrow, which uh, this did originate from like the ancient Greek Olympics, which is just like, oh, I'm a big, strong man. I fight in the battle. I stab the enemy. And they didn't change it at all. Like, it's like, have we not progressed over the past 2,000 years? Really, You're throwing a heavy metal ball. Exist? What are you talking about? Progression. Progression? The, what are you talking about? Where is even less progression with a shot point? You have a little little ball. You didn't even, even do anything to sharpen it. You're just like, oh, I pick, let me pick up this fucking exactly, rock off the ground. You're not trying to hurt someone. You're not trying to stab someone. You're just sure trying you to, are. What are you talking about? You're trying to... A ball is the property. natural item to throw. When you think of throwing something, a ball is the first thing that comes to mind. An arrow. If you want to release an arrow long distance, you take a bow, a bow and arrow, and play some archery, which is a totally different thing. So the javelin is terrible. Um, it's been confirmed. And the shot put is great in pretty much every single way. And now, for my fourth pick, I'm going to go with an event that I took part in uh, in elementary oh. school track and field. Um, okay. that was a lot of fun at the time, though I do admit it is slightly less fun to watch. Uh, the high jump is not only a great activity, Oof, it is yikes. also it is also super fun to say and make fun of. And I need events on my team that are easy to make fun of, but not too much uh, in that they're, they're no fun and suck. So the high jump is my fourth pick. Uh, and it's great. I think even a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, I was making fun of the high jump. So, uh, so there you have it. He's drafting the laughing stock of track and field. This is this is the Buffalo Sabers right now. Uh, it's completely embarrassing, frankly. Uh, and you're getting destroyed. Anyways, moving on to the next pick. Uh, this is the fifth round. So the penultimate pick here. Um, I am looking at the events. You know what? I'm doubling up. Uh, with the ninth overall pick in the track and field draft i am selecting the heptathlon um thereby shutting you Ooh. out of the multi-events um because you know the decathlon only for men let's get some you know it's uh the heptathlon is only for when to get some balance in there but also i believe it's a different set of events you as i said earlier about the decathlon you get some tapas action you get a bit of everything it's wonderful all right it's like you get a whole bunch of sports and you know, it's even less of it. So you could argue, you know, you know, who wants to watch for so long with the decathlon? If that's what you choose, uh, personally, I don't abide by that philosophy, but maybe you do. Well, in this case, the heptathlon is for you, uh, and only seven events. It's just, I'm absolutely cooking you right now. You have no access to any of the seven or the ten event sports. Um, you can already call it in. Uh, I don't even think we need to ask the public. It's not even close right now. Uh, first of all, isn't the pentathlon still on the table? Uh, or did it's I accidentally not. take note of something that's not eligible? There's no pentathlon, is there? I don't think so. I saw, on Wikipedia, I definitely saw a pentathlon, but I wasn't going to draft it anyway, so whatever. Uh, because why draft okay. the pentathlon when you can all instead right. draft, uh, the only race with, uh, the quirky number, I'm going to draft the 110 meter hurdles. Uh, oh, first of all. God. First of all, okay. hurdles are fun. Hurdles are fun. I participated in that one as well. You just jump over them. Wee! It's great. You're mi mixing a uh, hundred meter and the high jump, a wonderful fusion. Uh, and it doesn't take very long to watch. Uh, you don't honestly you don't even need real hurdles. You can kind of you can make your own with like 
forks and spoons or whatever. I don't know. Probably not those objects, but with different objects instead. Uh, and of course, the fact that there's one that's 110 meters, you're like, eh, no, 100 meters, that's for people who don't want to run more than that. We're going to make the 110 meters instead. I think it's absolutely hilarious and fun. And this is a steal in the fifth round. The fact that you sat through five picks and you preferred uh, not only the dumb javelin throw, but also the decathlon and the extremely similar heptathlon before you considered the 110 meter hurdles is frankly idiotic. All right. Well, okay. First of all, uh, no. Uh, and second of all, let me get to my last pick. All right. Um, here we go. The last pick of uh, last of my picks for this draft. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I could go many ways. Um, we could go with the stupid name. We could go the three thousand meter fucking steeple chase. Whatever the fuck that is. Um, um, but I, I think I'll stray away. If you want the if you want the steeple chase to complete your your whole mixed bag of <laughs> clowneries, I will give it to you. Um, you know, like what you want to run for three kilometers while getting wet at the same time and jumping in glorified puddles, have fun. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, I will be going, you know what? Maybe I'll go for the walk, but eh, I'm good. I'm good on the walk. You know, I'll leave all the laughing stocks to you. Uh, I think we'll go straight forward. I think we will be going with a 200 meter run. Um, it's just, it's solid. You know, it's like, it's a very good run. Uh, it, I spent a sixth round pick on it, not the second overall pick. Uh, and you get many of the same stars. You know, Usain Bolt does the 200-meter run. Andre DeGrasse does the 200-meter run. Everybody does the 200-meter run if you do the 100-meter run. Uh, and so I'm getting the same stars. I get more value. I get more running time. Uh, it's still a very short race, though. So it's like I'm getting the best of everything. Um, uh, not a, You know, it's very still very popular, though. Very important race. So last round pick, absolute snipe. It's not even close. All right, your pick. All right. I don't know if you know this. Um, but when Connor Hellebuck was drafted by the Winnipeg Jets in 2012, nobody had any idea who he was. And when Alex drafted the steeplechase, uh, the sixth oh, round, Christ, he did it. No <laughs> one, not even me, had any idea what it was. I have no idea what the steeplechase is. I got a very high ceiling here, therefore. Uh, that's my final pick. 3,000 meter steeplechase. Now it's time for me to look it up and see what it actually is. All that stuff you were saying about like splashing in puddles sort of rings a bell. Um, the steeplechase is an obstacle race in athletics, which derives its name from the steeplechase in horse racing. The foremost version of the event is the 3,000 meter steeplechase. Uh, that didn't really describe what it was. Um, do you know anything <laughs> about it? Can you tell me what my final pick is? Okay. All right. So uh, I don't know much about it. But uh, basically, you get it's like the uh, uh, obstacle course is about right. Obstacle course is about right. You have some hurdles in there, and you have some hurdles with fucking like water puddles after the hurdles. So you jump into a water puddle, which seems to be the most unappealing thing to ever do in the history of sports. I don't know why you'd actively want to get water involved in a track race. It seems like a safety hazard, but also just doing the thing seems like it sucks. Um, I don't want to get my freaking socks wet. Um, that makes no sense at all. Um, so, you know, I think you made a big mistake. You did not do any sort of scouting on the steeplechase. This is like taking Caden Gooley in the first round. Um, clearly a big mistake. And uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's like, what what did you say in the, like, early, it's, it's a, a horse race or some shit. It derives its name from this. It's not even a real human race. All right, it's really meant for horses, and you know, 
I called it. I called this the pick before. I said, if you want to keep doing this clown shit and, and taking the steeplechase, uh, you're only, you know, you're only making your own bed to lie in. Uh, and that's exactly what you did here. Uh, now that we've concluded the draft, I'll, I'll do a little summary. We have my team. Or you know what? We'll save the best for last. We have your team, um, which wow. is the 100-meter dash, wow. the shot Very put, clever. the 20-kilometer race walk, the high jump, the 110-meter hurdles, and finally, uh, the steeplechase. And then you have my team, which, you know, in all its glory, pole vaulting, the decathlon, 4x100-meter relay, the javelin, Sucks. heptathlon, 200-meter dash. So, Boo. you know, any... That team. Any, no matter how much track and field you watch, which in my case is extremely little, uh, limited to the Olympics and even hardly that, um, any any noob, any novice, or even any expert, if you happen to be a track expert, please chime in and uh, express your support for me, um, can see that this list, uh, the second one that I listed there, mine, is uh, just not even close. He would look at Alex's team and we laugh. I gotta tell you, the the decathlon, heptathlon, javelin throw. You know what this is? It's a yawn fest. That's what your team is. It's just a total yawn Uh, fest. fest. Whereas the steeplechase is absolutely hilarious. All right. You're telling me, here's what probably happened. All right. They They were training for the hurdles and it started raining. And someone said, let's make this a totally different sport. Uh, and therefore, the steeplechase was born. I think it's absolutely hilarious. Who? How do you even get interested in the steeplechase? You're like, yeah, hurdles isn't that fun. I want to do the wet one instead. Uh, so the <laughs> fact that we, the the fact the fact that we've talked about it for this long goes to show its incredible entertainment value and how much of a steal it was, especially at the last pick of the draft. 110 meter hurdles. That's 110. Any 110 of anything is hilarious. High jump, easy to dunk on, which of course is a very necessary aspect of anything to do with athletics. 20 kilometer race walk. Everyone loves the race walk. I barely have to explain that one. Shot put, otherwise known as throwing a ball, among the most basic of sporting activities. Anyone can take part in it and have a good time. And of course, the 100 meter dash. Do I even need to explain? It's the first thing you think of when you think of track and field. Is the 100 meter dash? It's it's the face of the franchise, really. It's really your only good pick. I mean, first of all, you you just glanced over the 20 kilometer race walk as if it was nothing after promptly roasting my events for being quote unquote boring. Uh, what is more boring than watching a dude walk for 20 kilometers? Um, <laughs> I cannot. I can't think of anything worse. Frankly, if I watch that on my TV, you could call the ambulance. I'm probably dead by the end of it or at a halfway point, honestly. Um, it's it's completely atrocious. And, and it's just like, first of all, and the steeplechase. Yeah, sure. You laugh at the people running through the water puddles for the first maybe 500 meters. But then you realize you have to watch three kilometers of this garbage. Um, it's I mean, it's completely disproportionate. You you talk about me uh, and, and my like the my events. Decathlon had not too long. What the hell are you talking about? Uh, you have two events combined for 23 kilometers, um, and they're both terribly boring. So uh, it's uh, I don't, like I, you're, you're, it's just inconsistent here, your arguments, because everything that you rose before, you look at your list, and then you realize it's six times worse, at least. Um, so, you know, frankly, I don't, like the strategy, I, well, sorry, I shouldn't call it a strategy because there clearly wasn't any, um, has really backfired. And... Uh, 
I mean, you have a set of boring laughing stocks, which is an oxymoron I did not think was capable of being achieved. But here we are. Uh, and frankly, I just, I completely demolished you. I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you, uh, let me specify the race walk in theory is incredibly enjoyable and fun and hilarious to think about and therefore not boring. Uh, whereas uh, just the words heptathlon make me want to enter a coma, to be totally honest with you. It's like, ah, uh, heptathlon, are you kidding? Race walk, sounds, race walk sounds fun to partake in and it's hilarious. Uh, so honestly, boredom, I don't even know what you're talking about when we're talking about a race walk because I understand boredom is potentially subjective, but uh, your point of view on the matter is clearly extremely flawed. Uh, I think perhaps... It is time to wind down this post-draft debate and acknowledge that my team is better than yours. But I suppose that uh, once again, we will put a poll up on Fusion and Hockey Podcast Instagram. I'll wait a little bit. I'll put it up a little bit later in the week uh, just so that we get as many people who've listened to the episode as possible and therefore as many uh, authentic voters as possible. Do you have any final thoughts on anything that we've discussed before we close out this week's episode? Yeah, sure. Just one final point. I just think it's very, very telling that for a debate on track and field, you just said in theory, uh, which is completely absurd. And I'll just leave it at that. Um, if, if you have to resort to track and field theory, which is somehow more boring than all of these events put together, <laughs> um, you are putting yourself theory in a deep, deep hole, mister. Of any, okay. all right. of any uh, room of study. You write a book on this? Study. Oh, of course not. What do you think I am? Uh, but I'm sure someone could. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast and also and Track and Field Podcast. You can follow our podcast on Instagram at Fusion and Hockey Podcast and you can follow us on Twitter and you can return for next week's episode when Montreal will have played some games. I like the past week.